0: Brother Andy and I talked two weeks ago, and we talked even more this week about the Lord's Supper and kind of how we were going to plan it all and, and had a few thoughts, but I had no idea He was going to ask you to sing the Lord's Supper. As long as I've been a pastor, that's the first time I've ever heard anybody singing congregation-wise during the Lord's Supper, but I like that. I like it very much. Appreciate that, Brother Andy, in and the sweet spirit, uh, just singing about the cross um, and singing about what He's done for us. Habakkuk chapter 3 Verses 1 and 2. Just a couple of verses this morning. And The Bible simply says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shaginath. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I want to speak for a few minutes on the overwhelming power of prayer as you saw the title if you looked to check in the messenger this week you you already knew that you already knew that prayer is overwhelming and there is a power in prayer that cannot be found in any other way you know that when you pray you talk to the creator of all you know that when you pray Jesus Christ is at the right hand interceding on our behalf you know all of those things but there is an overwhelming sense when you pray that there is a power that cannot be found anywhere else. Habakkuk chapter 3 we learn something else about Habakkuk. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks it's it's been a progression through. You remember in chapter 1 how when he started off this book how he was crying up to God. He was praying, but he was asking God to send revival because the nation of Israel was in ruin. The nation of Israel was in sin, there was idolatry all through the land, there was a wicked king, and he's crying out to God, asking God, Lord, why will you not send revival? And then verse 12 and following at chapter 1, God gives Habakkuk the answer to his prayer, it's not what he was praying for, he says, I'm going to send the Chaldeans, I'm going to send the Babylonians, who is a nation who does not believe in God, they're going to come and they're going to defeat the nation of Israel. That's not what Habakkuk was praying And the message that week was when God's plan involves adversity. Sometimes when we pray, God has a different way. His thoughts are higher, His ways are higher than our ways. His plan is so different than what sometimes we can even pray for. And many times He sends us through adversity before there is revival. And then we learned in chapter 2 of verse 4 a couple of weeks ago, where we should be when it comes to prayer and when it comes to revival. The just shall live by faith. What is our anchor in the middle of adversity? It's our faith. And nothing more and nothing less. We cling to our faith in the middle of adversity. And then last week, chapter 2, verses 5, and all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 20, we talked about what it means when someone lives a life that does not please God. When a nation lives a life that does not trust God, And we saw what the effects of being someone who does not trust God, the the wrath that they will experience because of Almighty God. And then we get to chapter 3, and it's Habakkuk's turn to speak again. And he quotes a prayer that's just two simple verses. He expounds on it in verse 3 and following, we'll be there next week, but the the purpose of the prayers found in these two verses specifically. It's only found in one verse, in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the, midst of your, in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. Three short things this morning about the overwhelming power of prayer. Number one, I want you to see the right place in prayer. What is the right place in prayer? I'm not talking about a physical place. I'm talking about a focus. I'm talking about a mindset that when you pray, there has to be a a right mindset, a right place when it comes to prayer. When we pray, we do not go to God thinking that's something we deserve or thinking that it's something that we earn or thinking of something that we uh, should receive. That's not the right place in prayer, we cannot succeed if we think somehow we deserve to be there or even deserve to be heard. There's not a person in this world that deserves to be in the holy presence of Almighty God in prayer. And when we pray, we must understand that the right place of prayer, that the only way we are there is because of the cross of Calvary and the temple that has, the, the, the curtain that was torn into that gives us access to the holy place of Almighty God. That's the only way. We can pray. Nothing I have done, nothing you have done, nothing we strive for can get us into the presence of God apart from what God has done on the cross. The right place of prayer is a mindset of humility. And verses 2, you see that from Habakkuk. His heart of humility, understanding that. The reason is, if you go back to verse or chapter 1 and the prayer that he prayed in chapter 1, let me mention a couple of verses. The first one's in verse number 2. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Look down to verse 13. You are pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? God, why is your people being overcome by the enemy, by the heathen? You know what he's really doing? Habakkuk is really complaining. And there's nothing wrong with that type of prayer. God says to go to him at any time, any place, anything that's on your heart. You share it and you spill it before Almighty God. So what he was praying was not necessarily bad. It's just when you get to chapter 3, the whole place of his prayer has changed. Nowhere in verse 2 does it say anything about the nation of Israel. Nowhere in verse 2 is he worried about the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. Nowhere in verse 2 is he talking about the nation and how the people want to come back to God. All he prays is, O oh Lord, I've heard your speech and I was afraid. The right place of prayer is when your focus gets off on what you need and your focus is on who He is. He took his focus off of the Babylonians, off of himself, off of the Israelites, and he focused on God. As long as you pray on the human level, things will always look bad. As long as Habakkuk was praying and he was thinking about what was going on around us, he, just like you, would be terrified. In your prayer life, what God is trying to do in your... And the reason why it's an overwhelming power of prayer is the Lord directs us and wants to take us from looking at things from the human eye point and to look at it from Almighty God. God, oh Lord, I have heard your speech and I was simply afraid. Nothing about what was going on around them. That's the right place of prayer. Once he saw the righteousness of God, it reminded himself of the eternal and the sovereign God that he worshipped. His whole perspective changed. As long as Hobacket was looking at his problem, he was troubled. But now, he is focusing on God. Lord, I have heard Your speech. And I was afraid, fearful, a reverent, Fear. The right place in prayer. Listen to this this morning. The right place in prayer is not on the problems in your life, but in the power of your Lord. The right place in prayer is not in the problems of your life. We all have them. And we will always have them until Jesus comes back. The right place in prayer is not on the problems of your life, but in the power of your Lord. O oh Lord, I have heard your speech, and I am afraid. And he asked to be revived. He asked, O oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of your years. Habakkuk was complaining about the Chaldeans in chapter 1. He was complaining about the sin of the Chaldeans in chapter 1. And what he was forgetting was how sinful the nation of Israel was and how sinful even Habakkuk was. See, the right place in prayer is when you go before Almighty God is to understand, God, I need You because I am a sinner. And the only way I can come before You is by Your grace and by Your mercy. Nothing more, nothing less. Ineffective prayer is when you are overwhelmed with your problems. Effective prayer is when you're overwhelmed with His power. So when you pray, and you may have all of the world on top of your shoulders, you are not overwhelmed by the problems in your life. You are overwhelmed by the power that you are about to tap into. Well, that changes your whole perspective in prayer. It changes everything about you. That's why when you pray, with everything else going around you, you can say, and we know that all things work together for the good to those that love Him and to those that are called according to His purpose, Romans 8.28. You do that in prayer, even when you have problems in life, even when you are searching for revival, even when you're praying for revival. You pray in the overwhelming presence of Almighty God. That is the right place in prayer. But let me show you a second one. Not on the right place in prayer, but the right praise in prayer. The right praise and prayer. He said, oh Lord, I have heard your speech. Uh, what's he talking about? The speech uh, or, or the words? It goes back to chapter 2, verses 5 through 20, where God pours out what He's about to do to the nation of Babylon. God says, I'm going to use the nation of Babylon, and I'm going to use them to discipline the nation of Israel. But because Babylon is an idolatrous nation, because they don't worship me, this is what's going to happen to the nation of Babylon. And we saw that last week. And Habakkuk said, Lord, I have heard your speech. And I I am terrified at your presence, not scared like you're scared of something, but a reverential fear when you go in the almighty presence of God that you have a worship, an adoration, and a praise that can only be found in prayer. One of the things that I dislike the most in high school grammar and even college was diagramming. I don't know if you do that or not anymore. Uh, If you don't, praise the Lord. God's grace is still sufficient. If you do, God's mercy is new every morning as well. But when you diagram, you have to look at a sentence and you have to say, what's the subject of the sentence? And you draw your line out and you put a line down the middle and your subject goes on one side and your verb goes on the other side. Then you put your adjectives or your prepositions, whatever else may May follow a sense like that. And then they even teach you in English as well, and, and, and even when you study God's Word, that when you take a big paragraph, that you can almost diagram a paragraph, not every word, but you can take the central thought out of that paragraph. And if somebody was to read, that ten paragraphs or five paragraphs, and they would say, what's the the essence of that paragraph in one sentence? You can be able to tell that. That's the the purpose, and that's the subject of what you are writing. So let me ask you in your prayer life, what's the subject of your prayer life? In chapter 1, what's the subject of Habakkuk's prayer life? How big and how mighty the Chaldeans are. How quiet, how silent God is. The subject could be questions, and there's no answer. The subject could be what in the world is going on? In fact, that's what we titled the message What in the World's Going On? But when you get to chapter 3, what's the subject? I stand in awe of you. That the subject of his prayer life is no longer on the outcome or the problem. The subject of his prayer life is the praise and the adoration of Almighty God. Lord, I heard what you said, and I, I am afraid I have a reverential awe and a fear and a respect of even being in your presence so regardless of what you are praying for you are not really praying until the subject of your prayer life is the almighty praise of god that's the subject of your prayer and that has to be the subject of your prayer life we've put some of that in practice over the last couple of weeks i encourage you if you're not with us on Wednesday night, to be here on Wednesday night. God is doing some amazing things through our church, through prayer. One of the things we've been doing over the last several weeks was praying for our debt. I have no problem standing here in front of you saying we're praying for that. We're praying that God would take care of that. We're praying that God would would answer that so we can get that behind us and, and celebrate what He's given us here in our facilities. But we're absolutely praying for that. We even as a church gathered together November 29th and said that's going to be a focus of our church is to, is to pray and ask God that He would take care and that He would, he would speak to the hearts of our people and, 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 and instill in us a desire and, and, and obedience. And for many, you've already been doing that and you just continue to do that and asking God to bless what is already blessed. We even... Uh, got the finance committee ordained day or, or, or uh, put together a debt reduction team. And this team has gathered together and we've designated, in fact, you can see it there in your messenger today, the Faith Sunday, which is on May the 15th. What are we doing on that Sunday? We're going to have some great, great fried chicken, I think, that day. As a Baptist, we may have a record attendance on that Sunday. <laughs> we're going to eat. We're going to celebrate dinner on the grounds. But folks, we're going to celebrate something more mighty than that. We want to celebrate stepping out in faith and we want to celebrate praying in faith and we're asking God to take care of every bit of that. How much is that, Brother John? That's over $200,000. That's beyond any any amount that anybody in this room can take care of. But it's something that every one of us can join together and we can pray. And the focus of that day, and here's, here's where we can put this into practice. Immediately when I said that, Some of you said it'll never happen. And it will never happen as long as we focus on the problem or the need. If the debt is our subject, it's going to be a long time before it's ever taken care of. But if the power of God and praise and adoration of who He is, is our subject. I believe God will take care of that. So Wednesday night, and even before Wednesday night, even days after Wednesday night, I encourage you to pray something like this. Lord, we come before you as a member of First Baptist Church. We're coming together and we're praying for this special day, May 15th. It's a faith day. And we're just asking God to speak to our hearts on the, what, what He would allow us to do and what He allow us to give and to be obedient on that day. And God, we come before You, but God, because You created every star that's in existence, Lord. You created all the nine planets, and You hung all them, and all the world revolves around You. You created it all. But God, even You used people like Moses. Moses was a, was a normal person. In fact, he would even say he was below normal. But God, You used him and gave him a staff, and He took that staff out, and He parted the whole Red Sea. God, if You can do that, then You can take care of anything that we have in our life. Lord, You are Almighty God. God, then you raised up this guy named, named David. David was a, uh, just a little munchkin during his time. And Lord, you, everybody else looked at the problem and said, we can't do that. But David said, Lord, I come before you in the name of Almighty God. And God, you used him to conquer a giant. God, I know you can take care of anything that's in our midst. Then you have three little Hebrew boys who one day woke up and decided they were not going to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. Even though everybody else saw the problem and they bowed down, they said, no, we're not going to bow down. So they turned up the fire furnace seven more times and walked through that fire. Not even a hair on their body was burned. God, if you can do that through Hebrew, three, three Hebrew children, even sending your son Jesus to be in the midst of the fire with them, then God, you can handle any problem we may have. But God, even in the New Testament, you sent your son, born of a virgin, born into this world, he lived a perfect life. Not only did he live this life, but he walked on water. And He changed water to wine. And He even raised His good friend Lazarus from the dead, who was four days in paradise of Almighty God, brought him back and allowed him to walk on the face of this earth. Lord, You even overcame death. God, You even allowed people in the apostles or in the New Testament days to heal those and to call those who have dead. I remember Eutychus, Lord. Eutychus was listening to a long sermon. It was over 12 hours long. He was sitting in a window and he fell off that window. And he fell down graveyard dead. And God, You allowed... You allow those apostles to go and to heal that guy and to bring him back to life. God, you can do anything. We're not focusing on how much. We're focusing on how big our God is. That's the right praise and prayer. And when we start praying like that, God's going to start doing miracle after miracle. Not even miracle, but just showing us His glory and showing us His power and showing us His presence in ways we've never seen before That's the right praise in prayer. But then number three. Number three is the right petition in prayer. The right petition in prayer says, O oh Lord, revive Your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. What is the right petition in prayer? O oh Lord, revive. Here's the key. Your work. What was he praying for in chapter 1? God, why aren't you? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing that? In chapter 3, because he comes from a heart of humility and the first issue in prayer is the praise of Almighty God. He says, Lord, I'm asking you to revive your work even if your work means that the nation of Israel is to be disciplined and conquered by the Chaldeans. God revive your work. God, bring back to life your work. Usually when we pray, we're asking God to bless what we're doing. God, this is what we want to do. This is what I feel led to do. This is all that we're doing. I'll ask you, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And we're going to do it this way, this way, and this way. And it's going to be at this time, this committee. And, and, and Lord, I just ask that you bless it. Rather than saying, God, I want you to revive what you want to do. In your work. In your way. In your time. God, if you want to send revival to First Baptist Church and people to experience the Holy Spirit of God, God, do that. But for God, for us to experience revival, if we must first be disciplined, then God, revive your work. See, our prayer is for God to work even if it's something we're not praying for, even if it's something we don't want. God, we want You to work because Your works and Your ways are higher and they are perfect beyond anything that we can think of. The Babylonian invasion threatened Habakkuk's work. He wanted God to turn the, turn the evasion aside. But he is now focused on the work of God. For most, here it is, for most Christians, our prayer life consists of asking what we want. If we get it, we'll pray more. But if we don't get it, then we stop praying altogether. Maybe you're here this morning and the reason why you have no prayer life is because you've been praying and God hasn't answered but maybe through this text this morning, God has spoke to your heart and said, Hey, I am here. And I would love to work in your behalf. I would love to meet every need that you may have. But you have to understand the right place and the right praise that comes in prayer. Then he says, I'll hear the petitions. And he says, Lord, I rev- oh, Lord, revive your work. In the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make it known. And then the last thing he says is, In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk knows that the nation of Israel is about to experience the wrath of Almighty God. That the nation of Israel is about to be destroyed because of their sin, because of their idolatry. And he says, Lord, in the midst of of your wrath, God, would you remember mercy? Why would Habakkuk pray anything about the mercy of God? God is a merciful God. And one of the characteristics of God's character is His mercy. So Habakkuk is simply saying, God, when you send wrath, help us to see more of who you are. Your character. A merciful God. I mentioned last week a little bit of comparison between chapter 2 with where we're at as a country a nation full of sin, a nation deserving the wrath of God. If God has judged the Israelites here, if God has judged the nation of Sodom and Gomorrah, then God has to judge the United States of America. And our prayer is this, not like Habakkuk in chapter 1. Our prayer is like Habakkuk in chapter 3. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. God, as you are pouring out your wrath, May your wrath point people to Jesus. God, in the midst of all that you are doing, we're getting everything that we deserve. But Lord, in the midst of your wrath, may your church thrive. In the midst of your wrath, in a nation that is full of sin, may the church be the light. Not only the the light of Jesus, but the hands and feet of Jesus so the world can see Jesus in the church of the Lord. Lord, in wrath, remember your wrath. Mercy, and may you give it to us. I didn't know Brother Andy was going to sing this morning, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But here's the verse I wrote down to conclude: Lamentations 3:22 and 23. Though through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What is the subject of your prayer life? If it is to be an overwhelming power of prayer, know your place in prayer. And that is a privilege to stand and to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you pray, knowing you don't deserve anything, neither do I, but we come before Him with His grace and with His mercy. And when we bow before Him, a right praise in prayer, a worship, and an adoration, and the focus of our prayer is not on the problem, but in the power of Almighty God. And then when we pray, and when we ask, we say, God, I want Your work, I want Your will. If it is to discipline, if it is to send revival, if it is to to send glory, whatever it is, God, I want Your work in our life. Then you'll understand what it means to have the overwhelming Power of prayer. Let's pray. God, these next few moments is a demonstration. Of your mercy. God, these next few moments is an opportunity to experience the mercy of God. God, there's not a person in this world that deserves heaven. In fact, every one of us, because of our sin, The Bible says the wage of sin is death. And every one of us deserves hell. And eternity in hell because of our sin. God, but because of Your mercy. And because it's new every morning. For many in this room, they remember a time in their life where they opened their arms to the mercy of God and saying, God, I'm a sinner. But I ask that You save me by Your grace. And God, You gave us another opportunity this morning for someone, some boy, some girl, some man, some woman to experience Your mercy and to not die in their sins, but instead be forgiven of their sin when they come to the cross. Say, God, I just ask that You come into my life and to save me. Forgive me for my sins. Thank You for Your mercy. And Lord, I pray if there's someone that's here today and needs to make that decision to trust You and to be saved this morning, God, that in just a moment, Lord, they would come. Lord, they'd come, take me by the hand, take Brother Jeremy by the hand and say, "I, I need to be saved today. I need the mercy of God. Lord, for believers today, God, forgive us for shallow praying. God, forgive us that when we pray, it seems like, especially when there's a major problem, that the majority of things out of our mouth is the problem of our life and not the power of our Lord. God, help us to understand our place in prayer. And I pray you'd use this invitation, Lord, to just give us a glimpse of who you are. God, there may be some who need to come to this altar and pray. Maybe not something in their own life. Maybe just to lift up our church. Maybe to lift up May 15th, God, as we gather together and we ask for the glory of God to come down. And to do something, God, that is beyond anything that we can do by ourselves. Lord, we need you. We need your power. We need your grace. We need your provision. God, you own it all. I pray, God, You would use us in a mighty way, not to say what we have done, God, but to say what You have done and for the world to see Your glory and Your honor and to see people come to know You. So God, I pray You'd use this invitation time to draw people to You in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask if You would just to stand with every head back.